Good to be back with you at River Club. Uh, for those of you that have just been to River Club for the last few years, uh, my name is Dee Whitten. I'm the executive director of North Star Church Network in Northern Virginia, a network of about 160 churches in Northern Virginia. And I came with a great group of folks 10 years ago to launch River Club and served as a pastor here for six years. Had an awesome time here. You got a great group of folks at River Club, and so I've missed seeing many of you for the last uh, four years, and it's great to be back again this morning. So we want to dig into God's Word this morning. And first of all, let me ask you a question. How many of you have had an opportunity to go visit the Museum of the Bible in D.C.? How many of you? Okay, a handful of you have. Okay, I know the next trip y'all need to make at River Club is get a bus together and take everyone down to D.C. to see the Museum of the Bible. It sounds kind of boring, maybe, Museum of the Bible, but it is anything but boring. Uh, the Museum of the Bible, they put $1 billion into building this facility, $1 billion with a B. And it was uh, spearheaded by the Green family from the Hobby Lobby, who owns the Hobby Lobby stores. But they've got thousands upon thousands of other people to join with them in building this great facility. It's 400,000 square feet of space just a couple of blocks from the United States Capitol building, just a couple of blocks from the Air and Space Museum. Great location right over the subway, the metro stop there. It's the most high-tech museum in the world, most high-tech museum of the world. The main purpose of the Museum of the Bible is to present the Bible, simply present the Bible to people to come. It's not to proselytize folks, uh, someone's, uh, but just let the Bible speak for itself. Someone asked Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher in the 19th century, how do you defend the Bible? He says, defend the Bible? How do you defend a lion? Just let it go and it'll defend itself. So that's the idea behind the Museum of the Bible. They want to present the Bible so people become more acquainted with it, and uh, it will take care of helping to lead people to faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, the main entranceway door to the museum weighs 12 tons, and it's 40 feet high, and it has inscribed on it Genesis chapter 1 from the Gutenberg Bible. Gutenberg Bible. That's what's printed on the front door of the museum. There are three main sections of the museum, and these are each section is on one separate floor piece. One is the history of the Bible section. This has all their thousands upon thousands of ancient artifacts, ancient manuscripts, archaeology. All of that is uh, in the history of the Bible. They have a copy of the one of the Gutenberg Bibles. They have some of the Dead Sea Scrolls, things like that. It's very interactive, though, very creatively laid out so that you'll be inspired by it. a lot of uh, archaeology videos that they show and so forth. History of the Bible. Next section is the stories of the Bible, and they want to present as plainly and as uh, dramatically as they can the story of the Bible. There's, there's an Old Testament walkthrough section that takes 40 minutes, but it's very impactful that, show, that tells the simple story of the Old Testament in a very dramatic way. They have a village of Nazareth that looks just uh, very similar to what the village looked like that Jesus grew up in. They have various docents there that are playing the parts of the rabbi in the synagogue and other folks, and it's an interactive kind of place. And so it's, uh, that's a very exciting floor. And then the third floor is the impact of the Bible. 
And, of course, the Bible has impacted the world in a profound way during the past uh, 3,000 years or so. And this just shows some of the ways the Bible has impacted government. They have an exact replica of the Liberty Bell in Philadelphia. Uh, But the Bible has impacted music and literature and hospitals and social justice. And every way that you can imagine, the Bible has impacted the world. And they have uh, very interactive, creative ways of presenting uh, how the Bible's Uh, has impacted the world. There's some uh, special features in the museum you'll want to check out. There's a great view of Washington, D.C. from the top floor. There's the Manna Restaurant, which serves Mediterranean food or Bible foods in it. Very nice restaurant. A world-class theater that that provides uh, state-of-the-art programs on a regular basis. There are specialty tours. You can sign up for a special tour, a one-hour tour of different parts of the museum. There's the Washington Flyover, which is a very dramatic virtual reality experience that they partnered with Disney to put into place that makes you feel like you're in a plane flying over Washington, and it focuses on the uh, inscriptions on the monuments and buildings in Washington that show the impact of the Bible on our nation's founding. Uh, There's a children's section that's fun for your kids and grandkids, so it is an awesome museum. So let me just recommend you get a group of people together and go and visit the Museum of the Bible. If you visit it once, you'll definitely want to go back because you won't be able to take it all in in just one visit. Well, we want to talk about the Bible this morning since we started off with the Museum of the Bible. There's no doubt that the Bible is the most popular book in all of history. No doubt about that. In fact, in the last 50 years, over 3.9 billion copies of the Bible has been sold. That's far more copies than any other book in the last 50 years. An extensive survey of the Bible was carried out by the American Resource Source Group back in 2007. And they surveyed over 1,000 adults in America. And the results were so shocking that, especially to the Green family that was just pondering building this museum, and this, the results of this survey is one of the reasons they decided to push ahead and raise $1 billion to build this museum. Here's what they found out in that survey. They found out that 94% of American adults own a copy of the Bible. Most homes own multiple copies of the Bible. But 94% of American adults own a copy of the Bible. That's pretty staggering right there. Uh, Secondly, 90% of Americans say that the Bible still applies to today's problems. That's 90% of Americans. A Gallup survey in 2005 found that 62% of Americans believe that the Bible is perfectly true and is the Word of God, 62%. A Barna survey in 2011 found that 69% of Americans believe that the Bible is the inspired Word of God of God. 69% of Americans believe that. However, on the other side of the coin, a Gallup survey in 2007 found that only 29% of Americans read the Bible weekly outside of attending religious services. So there you have it. Two-thirds of Americans believe that the Bible is the inspired Word of God, but only 29% of Americans take time to read the Bible even on a weekly Basis. So let's look this morning at this topic, the number one priority for a follower of Jesus Christ. This past May, I took as part of my assignment with North Star, 
the group I work with now, I work with about 160 pastors and churches in Northern Virginia. I took a group of 15 of those pastors to Nashville to meet with Tom Rayner, who's the president of Lifeway. That's the research and development arm of the Southern Baptist Convention. It's the, it's the literature production arm of the SBC. And uh, they have a lot of people that work in all areas of discipleship and Bible study and so forth. Well, we met with uh, Tom Rayner, and he talked to the group, and, and we, he had about 10 of his key people talk to the group on, on different occasions during this two-day trip. And one of the people that talked to us was Eric Geiger. Now, Eric Geiger has written a variety of books on discipleship. He's an executive vice president of Lifeway. But he emphasized one point during his talk that made a huge impact on me. In fact, this point that he made was so impactful to me that for me, that was worth the whole trip going to Nashville. The one point that he made to me, it was worth me paying the money and taking the time to go for two days to Nashville just to get this one point that he made. And here's his point. He said that based upon their research, and they do intensive research, there is one practice that Christians can carry out that will have more impact upon their spiritual development than anything else they can do. And this one practice will help Christians grow in every area of their spiritual life. In fact, this one practice should be the number one priority for followers of Jesus. So what is this practice? According to research, the number one priority for a follower of Jesus is to simply read the Bible and engage in the Bible. If you read the Bible and really engage in the Bible and meditate upon the Bible and apply it to your life, you will grow in every other area of your spiritual life. You'll grow in having a heart for serving God. You'll grow in your prayer life. You'll grow in your giving capacity. You'll grow in your worship life. You'll grow in a heart for loving other people and on and on and on. Based upon research, this is not true of any other discipline that we carry out as a Christian. You can be a great server. You might love to serve other people, but that doesn't mean you're going to grow in any other area of your Christian life. You can be a great giver. You might be very, uh, uh, you might love to give funds to carry out Christian causes and support your church, but that doesn't mean you're going to be growing in other areas of your spiritual life. But if you read the Bible faithfully and engage with the Word of God on a regular basis, a daily basis even, you will begin to grow in every area of your spiritual life. You will begin to grow as a follower of Jesus Christ. Now, as many of you know, Baptists have always put a huge emphasis upon Bible study and upon the Word of God. But I was, I was and I've been a Baptist my life, Baptist background, but I was surprised to hear how impactful Bible study really is based upon actual research compared with other disciplines in the Christian life. So if this is true, if the Bible is that impactful and the research indicates that it is definitely true, then this means that we need to put much more emphasis on reading the Bible in our own personal lives and in our church life. How can we encourage people in our churches to read, not just come to church to hear the Bible preached and taught, but to read the Bible in their everyday lives? Now, this doesn't mean that we need to have more Bible programs in the church. Because, you know, 
what happens is we can go to a Bible study program, might even have an outstanding preacher or an outstanding Bible teacher, and we go to that program once a week and we get all excited about the Word of God. And uh, then if we don't read it ourselves and delve into it every day of the week, then that doesn't really help us that much as far as spiritual growth is concerned. It's like if I wanted to uh, get healthy physically this next year, which I need to do, by the way, and so I decide, okay, I'm going to have a healthy diet that I'm going to begin, um, and then I'm going to um, exercise more. So I'm going to eat one really healthy meal on Sunday morning every week, and then I'm going to exercise very faithfully, very hard on Wednesday night every week. So what kind of shape would I be in in a year's time? The same terrible shape I'm in now probably, right? Or even worse, maybe. But that's how we do it in our spiritual life, and it doesn't make much sense, does it? Because we'll go to church service and have a great message, or we might go to a great Bible study, small group, and have a great time for an hour of studying the Bible. But then if we don't read it the rest of the week, it's like we're just uh, starving ourselves or being lazy the rest of the week, and that's not going to help us as far as spiritual growth is concerned. During my trip to Nashville, we also, this group of pastors I took, we also visited a church in downtown Nashville, a new church. It's just been going for two years. It's called the Church at Avenue South, and, it, and the pastor is Aaron Bryant, a very nice guy. Uh, the guys, the pastors in my group loved this trip to visit with Aaron Bryant. And he explained that his church is only two years old, and they have a very, very simple structure. They don't have a lot of people. They have a lot of programs, which is actually good. They're keeping it very simple. And their structure, they develop a discipleship structure that's based upon and modeled by the uh, example of Jesus. So they call it 12, 3, and 1. They have uh, people can get involved in a 12, roughly a 12-person life group that has Bible study every week. Or they can get involved in a three-person Bible reading group which means that uh, three people will team up for this Bible reading group and they'll decide, okay, we're going to meet every week at Starbucks or somewhere and we're gonna, each week we're going to read the same passage out of the Bible, the same, we're all going to read together maybe the Gospel of John this week or the book of Acts uh, uh, chapters 1 through 10 this week or whatever and then we'll get together and we're going to discuss and engage in that Bible with each other. And uh, that, provides, uh, you know, that provides some accountability for the people in that group. And then, but the third way, not only the 12-person life group, a three-person Bible reading group, but also a one-person mentoring group, a one-on-one mentoring group, where you have a, an older, more mature Christian that meets on a regular basis, maybe with a younger, less spiritually mature uh, Christian, or maybe a, Christian, a person that just hadn't been a Christian that long. They might meet together at Starbucks or wherever, once a week, and they'll also have the same passages they're reading together during the week, and they'll get together and talk about those passages and talk about their spiritual life together. Of course, most of our churches today focus on the 12-person small group. That's what we emphasize in our churches. But I love the idea of a three-person Bible reading group and the one-on-one mentoring group. We ought to think about that seriously. The whole idea of all of these types of groups, though, is not to have an awesome Bible study presentation or lesson. That's important, but that's not the real meat. That's just kind of the excitement to get you involved in doing the real thing. And the real deal is to... Read your Bible every day and feed yourself on a daily basis. And uh, the primary purpose is to have people engage in the Word of God personally on a regular basis. That is what is going to provide spiritual growth 
uh, and spiritual health for the, for the Christian. So that's the number one priority for a follower of Jesus. Now let's look in the Bible ourselves this morning and see what the Bible says about the importance of studying the Word of God and reading the Word of God. And we're in a uh, theme called Ascend here at River Club, and the focus is on the book of Psalms. So there's no book in the Bible that places a stronger emphasis upon the power of the Word of God in reading and meditating the Word of God than the book of Psalms. In fact, in the very first Psalm, it sets the theme and the tone for the entire book of Psalms. Psalms chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, 1 through 3, says, Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or stand around with sinners or join in with mockers. But they delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. They are like trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit each season. Their leaves never wither, and they prosper in all they do. Wow, that's a powerful passage about the Word of God, isn't it? In the very first psalm, we see that the people who delight in the law of the Lord and meditate on God's Word and God's instruction will be filled with joy. But not only that, they'll bear fruit in their lives and they will prosper in all that they do, the psalmist says. Psalm 1 says the key to success in life and to joy in life is to focus on God's word on a daily basis, to read God's word and meditate upon God's word. That's how Psalms begins. And what a great beginning for this book of the Bible. All right, then let's flip over to Psalm 19 for a minute. Verses 7 through 11. Psalm 19 says this, The instructions of the Lord are perfect, reviving the soul. The decrees of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The commandments of the Lord are right, bringing joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are clear, giving insight for living. Reverence for the Lord is pure, lasting forever. The laws of the Lord are true, each one is fair. They are more desirable than gold, even the finest gold. They are sweeter than honey, even honey dripping from the comb. They are a warning to your servant, a great reward for those who obey them. Again, powerful passage of Scripture about the Word of God. Here we see the psalmist is driving home the point that God's Word will revive your soul. God's Word will provide you with wisdom. It will provide joy to your heart and provide insight for living. God's Word is eternal. It is true. It is more desirable than gold and sweeter than honey. And the psalmist concludes by affirming that God's Word is a great reward for those who obey it. So here we have two psalms that focus on the truth that meditating upon God's word is the key to success in life. Meditating on God's word is the key to success in life. But that's not the most powerful psalm in the book of Psalms concerning the word of God. We want to focus now on the most powerful psalm, and that is Psalm 119. This is the longest chapter in Psalms, and it's the longest chapter in the Bible. It contains 176 verses. I'm not going to read the whole thing this morning, okay? 176 verses. All of these 176 verses focus on the truth and power of the Word of God. Every one of these verses. In fact, this psalm utilizes 10 distinctive words that refer to God's Word, God's instruction. And here are the 10 words that they use interchangeably to refer to God's word. They use the word instruction, which is the word Torah, which is, you know, the first five books of the Old Testament. Instruction, words, 
precepts, judgment, commandment, statue, order, utterance, way, and path. All of those words are used interchangeably in this book, in this psalm, to refer to the word of God. And, and every verse in this psalm, 176 verses, every verse in this psalm contains one of those 10 words referring to the word of God, except for one verse, verse 122. You can check me out on that if you want to. But even 122 is emphasizing the importance of the word of God. It just doesn't happen to use one of those 10 words. That's the only verse that doesn't refer to the word of God by word itself. So God's word is referred to more than 200 times in this psalm, this one chapter. But you know what? That's not the only distinction of this psalm. Psalm 119 is composed of an alphabetic acrostic format. Now, that sounds kind of complicated, doesn't it? An alphabetic acrostic format. There are 22 stanzas or paragraphs in this psalm. Remember, 176 verses, 22 stanzas or paragraphs, and each stanza is devoted to one of the 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. The Hebrew alphabet has 22 letters. And it begins, the first stanza begins with the Hebrew equivalent to the letter A in English, which is the first letter in the Hebrew alphabet is Aleph. And it goes all the way through the alphabet to what our letter Z would be to the last letter in the Hebrew alphabet. But there's still more. There's still more about this psalm. Each line or verse of every one of these paragraphs, and each paragraph, remember, is dedicated to one of the letters in the Hebrew alphabet. Each line or, or verse in that stanza of that paragraph is, uh, is, begins with the letter to which that stanza is dedicated. So in other words, verses 1 through 8 comprise the Aleph or the A paragraph. So every verse in that stanza begins with the letter A in the Hebrew, the Aleph, A. Then verses 9 to 16 is, is, every, is focused on the B letter. The Beth is called the letter of the alphabet, the second letter of the alphabet. And every line in that paragraph is dedicated to this Hebrew letter Beth, which would be our letter B. And so on down until they go all the way through the alphabet. There are 22 stanzas because there are 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. Now, that is, that is an amazing psalm. And we miss most of that in our English translation because we don't have the Hebrew alphabet in English. So it, our Hebrew, I mean, English language misses the power of this, of this psalm, 119. Now, why in the world would the psalmist under God's spirit go to all the trouble to create this alphabetic uh, acrostic for this Psalm 119. Why would they go to the trouble to make this an alphabetic acrostic? Well, if you think about it, the answer is kind of simple. They do it because the Hebrew people were taught to memorize the Bible. In fact, most of the children were memorizing whole chapters, whole books of the Old Testament, the Torah and the books, the book, the wisdom literature, the Psalms, and so forth. So they were memorizing this whole chapter of Psalms 119, all 176 verses. The people, most of the people probably have memorized this, and it made it much easier to memorize this long chapter with this Hebrew uh, acrostic, this alphabetic acrostic. Does that make sense? But, but remember, the entire psalm 
is dedicated to the importance of the Word of God. All of that psalm, all 176 verses are dedicated to the importance of the Word of God. Here are a few verses from that psalm that we ought to ju- we'll just take note of very quickly. Psalm 119, verses 1 and 2, the very first verses. This is in the A section of uh, the, the Hebrew A section of this psalm. Joyful are people of integrity who follow the instructions of the Lord. Joyful are those who obey his laws and search for him with all their hearts. Again, emphasizing God's word brings joy to our heart and to our life. Psalms 119 verse 5 says, Oh, that my actions would consistently reflect your decrees. You see, the psalmist here is reflecting, uh, Jesus actually reflected upon this psalm when he told the story about the man who built his house on the sand. And the house, of course, was destroyed when the floods came. And the man who built his house upon the rock, the man who built his house on the sand was the person that heard the teachings of Jesus but didn't put them in action. And the person that built his house on the rock heard the teachings of Jesus and put them into action. That's Jesus uh, was reflecting, I think, on Psalm 119.5 when he made that story. Psalm 119.11 says, I've hidden your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. We need to hide God's word in our heart by reading the word of God and by memorizing the word of God. When's the last time you memorized a verse of the Bible or a passage in the Bible? When I was a child, that was pretty a uh, basic thing that we did in our churches was memorize passages out of the Bible. And I still remember many of those passages that I remembered as a child. But we, in Hebrews, in Jesus' day, the Hebrew people memorized long passages out of the Bible because they didn't have a Bible in their home. The only Bible they had, had was in the synagogue. And they couldn't take the Bible home and memorize it on a regular basis. But we need to memorize the Bible so that we can hide God's word in our heart. Psalm 119, 47 and 48. How I delight in your commands. How I love them. I honor and love your commands. I meditate on your decrees. And then Psalm 119, 89 and 90. Your eternal word, O Lord, stands firm in heaven. Your faithfulness extends to every generation as enduring as the earth you created. Again, focusing on the power of the word of God. Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. Many of you have memorized that one, I hope. Psalm 119, 114. You are my refuge and my shield. Your word is my source of hope. That's very similar to the message we get in Psalm 46, 1 that you probably remember. God is our refuge and strength, always ready to help in times of trouble. Psalm 119, 127. Truly, I love your commands more than gold, even the finest gold. Again, this is very similar to what we read earlier from Psalm 19.10. It says, The law of the Lord is true. Each one is fair. They are more desirable than gold, even the finest gold. They are sweeter than honey, even honey dripping from the comb. Psalm 119 is a powerful chapter in the Bible that's crucial, uh, and it focuses on the crucial importance of incorporating the Word of God into our life on a regular basis. You see, the Word of God can change your life. By reading the Word of God, it will change your life if you engage in God's Word and meditate upon it. The Word of God can lead you to eternal life. The Word of God can provide you with the power to face life's difficulties. And the Word of God can do more than anything else in the world to help you grow in your relationship 
with Jesus Christ. In 2004, the Willow Creek Association sponsored a survey called Reveal that surveyed a quarter of a million Americans. Uh, these Americans were involved in 1,000 different churches across our country. And based upon this intensive survey, Callie Parkinson, one of the research leaders, had this to say, and let me quote her. She said, everywhere we turned, the data revealed the same results. Spending time in the Bible is hands down the highest impact personal spiritual practice. Nothing matters more to spiritual development, including church services, serving activities, small groups, than spending time in God's word. Nothing beats the Bible. That survey showed very similar results to what LifeWay came up with a few years ago. The, reading the Bible is by far the most important thing you can do to grow spiritually. And when Callie refers to reading the Bible in this survey, she doesn't mean just reading through it by rote and then checking off that you read, read a passage that day, not really knowing or engaging in what it said. It means engaging in the Bible, meditating upon the Bible, striving to really understand what the Bible means and how it impacts your life. One recent survey indicated that 88% of people in our country say that it is time for Americans to go back to reading their Bibles. Remember, 90, what was it, 94% of Americans have Bibles, but 88% of people in our country say it's time for Americans to go back to reading their Bibles. That's a pretty amazing statement right there, isn't it? And yet only 35% of Americans read the Bible personally every week, and only 14% read the Bible every day. Only 14% of Americans read the Bible every day. There's no doubt that the best thing you can do for your spiritual growth and spiritual development is to read and engage with the Bible on a daily basis. So let me close by just giving you seven brief guidelines for engaging God's Word. Here we go. Number one, set a specific time and place each day for your Bible engagement. There's something about having a set time and a set place that will really help you get in the habit pattern. It'll help you with your rhythms of life to get in the habit pattern of reading your Bible on a daily basis. Again, the power of the Bible doesn't help nearly as much if you do it, read it once a week or maybe two days a week. It's reading it every day that helps pour God's Word into our heart and helps us to grow spiritually. So set a specific time and place. You might have to change that on occasion, but having that regular time and place will do wonders for you. Secondly, find a good Bible reading program. There are a lot of great Bible reading programs out there these days, and I'm just going to show you a few of them. The Daily Walk, uh, I've used that for years. It's a great Bible reading program through the whole Bible, but it gives uh, a brief analysis of the chap of the passage that you're reading to provide the context for you, which is very important, especially in the Old Testament. And then it gives a devotional thought based upon the passages that you read. So that's a very good one. I've done, gone through that several times during my lifetime. Uh, another uh, one is the story. We uh, used that in a small group I was in when I was at River Club, actually. And this, in the story, Max Lucado and Randy Frazee just took out a lot of the narrative portions of the Bible and put it together so you can read it as, it, as if it's the story. You're actually reading the very... Bible words, you're reading the Bible passages, 
uh, but you're reading, you're reading selective passages to give you the narrative portion. If that makes sense, so if you want to get the storyline of the Bible, that's a good resource to use. I'm using right now something called the Christ Chronological, which uh, breaks down the New Testament, the Gospels, uh, and into the four different Gospels, and it shows you the comparison passages together. You know, if you read about the feeding of the 5,000, you can read the companion passages right next to each other, and it, it's a great way to read through the New Testament in a chronological fashion. Of course, the, uh, the message is a contemporary paraphrase of the Bible, so you need to know this is a paraphrase. It isn't an actual translation, but it hel- it's very readable, and it helps you read the Bible, and then you can go back and study it in more depth using an actual translation. And don't forget uh, your iPhone. Where's my iPhone? Right here. Uh, the U version is probably the most used app, certainly the most used app about the Bible in the world. Millions upon millions of people use U version, Y O U version. And on U version, you can set up a Bible reading plan very easily. Any plan that you want, reading through the Psalms in this month might be one, one plan. And then it'll help you every day. It'll show you what verses to read next. And you can read it on your iPhone, your iPad. Uh, and you can pick out whatever translation you want to pick out. So it's important. Uh, and our next point is find a translation that connects with you. There are a lot of great translations out there. And find the one that connects with you, that is most readable for you, that understandable. And also it's good if you're doing an in-depth Bible study to get an actual translation instead of a paraphrase. Uh, but there are new translations coming out all the time. And it's good maybe to switch around translations and compare translations so you can see what other translations uh, say, uh, how they word the same passage. And number four is have accountability. That's why if you're in a small group, make sure one of the things your small group does is provide Bible reading passages for everybody during the week so that you can all be reading the same passages during the week and then you can come back together and just discuss uh, the Bible passages that you read. Because you see, the main purpose of your group isn't, isn't uh, what you discuss during your group, believe it or not, or how good your teacher is in your group. The main purpose is the fact that this group is, is uh, creating some energy for you to read your Bible every day. Does that make sense? It's reading your Bible every day that really counts. So use your small group for accountability in reading the book. Or maybe get in a three-person Bible reading group like this church uh, is doing in, in Nashville. Find two other people that want to meet you at Starbucks or somewhere every week, and you all start reading the same passages every week. Uh, or found, find a mentor, someone that you can get together with individually that might be a, a little further along spiritually than you, and you can meet together on a regular basis. Or, or have your spouse or have your friend uh, keep you accountable for reading the Word of God on a regular basis. Number five, memorize special passages. Remember to hide God's Word in your heart. Don't forget how powerful it is to memorize passages of Scripture. You can decide for yourself in your readings during the week, you might pick out a couple of verses that you want to memorize that were especially impactful for you. Or maybe the church could say, all right, this week we're all going to memorize this uh, verse or this passage this week, and that kind of holds us all accountable for doing that. Number six is begin now. Don't begin tomorrow doing this. Begin now, today. Go home today and read the Bible. Develop a Bible reading plan. Figure out what plan you're going to use. You can go to YouVersion online, or you can pick out, uh, or you just start saying, I'm going to read through the Gospel of John or whatever, and start doing it this week. 
and, uh, but begin today. And then you can pick out a regular time and place uh, during the course of the week. Number seven is be consistent, which means to stick with it day after day after day. You know, no diet is going to work for you unless you're consistent with it. And no Bible reading plan is going to work for you spiritually unless you're consistent with it and you stick to it day after day after day. Just know that when you're reading the Bible on a daily basis, it is impacting your life probably in ways that you don't even realize at first. But you'll be growing spiritually in every area of your uh, spiritual life when you take to reading the Bible daily and applying God's Word to your heart meditating upon what you've read, engaging in what you've read. Uh, when you do that on a daily basis, I guarantee you that you will be growing in your spiritual life. And six months or a year down the road, you'll be way down the road in your spiritual life. There might be things that God wants you to do in your life that you can't even hear God's voice now because you're so shallow spiritually. But once you start growing in your faith, in your spirit, in your closeness to Jesus Christ, uh, and once you start growing through reading the Bible daily, it might be that you'll hear his voice in a way you've never heard it before. And he might be telling you, I want you to do this with your life. I want you to move in this direction in your life. Uh, you might be going through some difficult time and God's word will give you added strength and courage and insight to deal with that difficult time that you never would have had before if you hadn't been reading God's word on a regular basis. So let me just challenge you to begin today reading God's Word and take it from me from the research that we've read. And what we know is probably true in our heart, but even based upon the research, there is a huge difference in reading the Bible and anything else you do spiritually minded. Reading the Bible is going to help your spiritual development. You can just write it down, and you know that to be true. And it's something all of us can do because all of us have a Bible. All of us have access to a Bible. So it's something we can do easily, and we need to get about it. Individually and as a church family, we need to get about reading God's Word. Let's bow together in prayer. Father, we just uh, thank you for your Word. Thank you that you've given us your Word through the years, and, and that this Word is inspired by you, that it's true, and it's powerful, and it will impact our lives. So Lord, help us to take the Bible seriously. Help us to read the Bible. So many of us believe the Bible is the Word of God, but, but so many of us do not make, take advantage of reading the Bible on a regular basis. So, Lord, we want to grow closer to you. We want to, we want to carry out your will in our lives. We want to share the fruit of the Spirit in our lives with others. And we can't do that if we're not really pouring into your word on a regular basis. So help us to begin right now, right today, and start reading the Bible in a personal way, engaging with the Bible, and then uh, uh, just holding one another accountable for doing that. But Lord, we just look forward to the wonderful things you'll do in our life, life in the coming months and years as we pour into your word. Thank you again for your word and for the power of your word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.